0: Hey, Will. What's up, Tim? Today we did a nuclear war-themed escape room, and it was fun and all, but I thought the only winning move when it came to nuclear war was not to play.
1: Tim, I think you're being super
0: critical. Welcome to another episode of the Super Critical Podcast, where we delve into the fun and oftentimes nonsensical way pop culture portrays nuclear weapons. My name is Tim Westmeyer, someone who studies nuclear weapons and works on nuclear security for a living. For this episode, I decided to subject my co-workers to a team-building exercise in the only way that I know how. I locked them in a room to solve puzzles to stop World War Three. Fortunately for everyone, I did not actually get my hands on weapons-grade plutonium and become uh, my own real-life Bond villain. Instead, we went to an escape room near Washington, D.C. to play a room that has nuclear weapon themes, nuclear launch scenarios. We decided to test our metal if our uh, nuclear education background would help or hurt. Just kind of see how that plays into it. Because my usual podcast host, Gabe, uh, has yet to submit an application to join me at my work, uh, we decided to let him sit this one out. But I'm uh, excited to be joined again by my work colleague now, Will Satur. And
1: Will, how are you doing? Thanks for having me back on the show, Tim. It was fun, right? How Did you enjoy the, the escape room? I did. I, I enjoyed it a lot. I think uh, bo- both you and I can agree that the, um, the actual relevance of our experience expertise with uh, with nuclear weapons was a little bit lacking, mm-hmm. but uh, it, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was good. We had about 10 people
0: for the room. Uh, it was a mix of people who work pretty exclusively on nuclear security. Maybe have some of them have a background in nuclear weapons strategy, nuclear deterrence, Cold War history, and other people uh, have less. So and they have different focuses and, and interests and things like that. So it was a good mix of people. So Escape Rooms, uh, Will, now that you've done one of these before, I've done maybe one or two before. How would you describe an escape room to someone who is completely new to it? Because we had some new people playing it for the first time.
1: I would say the best way to describe it is: it's just um, they, they you get locked in a room, and there are lots of puzzles and mysteries and, and clues uh, that you essentially have to to solve um, in order to go through the various steps that you need to get to the final key. That will mm-hmm. Let you out of the escape room and and that was fun I, I I think that a lot of the puzzles were were creative were well thought out. We had advantages on some of them, for instance, mm-hmm. one of our coworkers, <laughs> Anna, is Russian, and one of the clues was a uh, base on Russian languages, and uh, she was like, Oh, immediately, this has to be a combination of one of the locks, and sure enough, it was yeah, so that was good.
0: it helped we weren 't really able to uh, well we 'll save this for the actual episode, whether or not our, our nuclear background helped. Uh, so here's here's a way for this format of the show to go. Uh, for this episode, I thought we would talk about our experiences in the escape room, whether it was a fun or more or less accurate appropriation of nuclear weapons in the Cold War uh, history, because that's where the time was set here. And ultimately, whether or not it helped to have a background in nuclear policy to solve the puzzles. And I wish I could have had time to ask some of our friends, uh, co-workers, whether or not it was fun to play a game like this with someone who are nuclear history, nuclear weapons policy enthusiasts like us. To be like, hey, that's actually not right. And then they would say, well, that doesn't help you solve the puzzle. (laughs) So we'll see. So spoiler warning for this. I'm not going to name exactly where we went. uh, Because I don't want to ruin any of the puzzles for people. I want people, if they're interested in this... To play this game uh, they could just go out and and try it and and have fun themselves. But of course if you have a Google you know how to Google things you can probably figure it out. So you can still do it if you want to. Uh, We're mostly going to talk about maybe not the the solutions to the puzzles but broadly some of the things that we thought was maybe appropriate for the nuclear history. We won't give any sort of clues away but fair warning uh, in case we slip up and you're smarter than we were figuring out what we're talking about. Uh, but yeah, so that I think we can still talk a little bit about what we experienced and whether or not we were appropriate to be super critical about it. So bunkers, nukes, and, and the Cold War—these really seem to be like very popular themes for escape rooms. I have a just doing a quick Google search myself, was looking to see if there were any other ones, and I've got quite a bit here. So I think we'll go back and forth a little bit about some of the ones that are on here. Like the first one, for example, uh, this is out in uh, Chicago, Illinois. It was recommended to us on Twitter by Stephen Schwartz, who's at Atomic Analyst, as well as Andy Adams of Outrider Foundation, uh, which uh, you can check out some of their really cool work if you go to outrider.com slash nukes. They've got a really cool Thing where you can spend your time on a Friday and plug in your zip code and they'll launch a bomb and hit you and you can actually see in a very stylized, very, um, very stylized and and very detailed way about what the effects of that would be to understand kind of why nuclear weapons are dangerous and what damage they would cause to you and yours uh, in your area. Uh, So go check that out. But they recommended a place called The Last Defender at World of Escapes in Chicago, Illinois, and the theme for that one is the elite defenders team of Cold War operatives you work as to undercover clues and solve puzzles in large and small teams you have to make a choice about to save the world from nuclear war this one in particular looked pretty in-depth everybody's wearing jumpsuits that would have been we got to check that one out if we were in chicago uh but there's another one here called the bunker experience out in pasadena california set in a post-apocalyptic sci-fi world He'll complete the thrills and suspense in order to survive so i think it's just uh stop the world war three kind of another one of those scenarios but this other one
1: the next one will if you want to check this one out the bunker a cold war era themed escape room in chattanooga tennessee so the description is a cold war era retaliatory missile defense program has suddenly activated and you are in the only facility capable of stopping it the date is august 1st 2009 and you are the first to arrive at your new military post inside a missile complex and a sudden event inexplicably triggers a total lockdown of all doors and controls and immediately initiates what appears to be an automated missile launch countdown. Ooh. Has the computer detected a real nuclear threat, or is the launch system malfunctioning? Can you stop the launch, prevent a global thermonuclear war, and retreat to the radiation-free safe zone before it's too late? That one sounds fun. I kind of want to do that one. Uh, Jennifer, can we... My wife's
0: here of the room. Can we go to Hooga? Uh, Tennessee, real quick? Um, probably not today. Not today. All right, well, we'll get to it. Uh, road trip. Uh, another one here is called Cold War Crisis at American Escape Rooms in Orlando. Uh, it's right around the Cuban Missile Crisis. Tensions between nations brought on by the Cold War are unbearable. A renegade state agent is planning an attack that will plunge the world into nuclear war. And we're here to infiltrate the secret agent's base, defuse the bomb, and in less than 60 minutes, otherwise we face the worst. Uh, humanity destroyed by nuclear armageddon some of these are are either like family friendly hey we're gonna solve something other ones are like no if you don't solve this everyone's dead
1: we're all going to die
0: the other one escape room i've done in the past was let's try to solve a puzzle indiana jones style to get like an idol a golden idol this one was if you don't solve the puzzle everyone you know and loved and everyone that could ever exist in the future are gone (laughs) <laughs> Pretty serious stuff here. Uh, there's another one. We can keep going with these, but like one called Nuclear Countdown in Port City Escape in in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina. Uh, this one's interesting. You're diplomats in a bunker, American and Russian diplomats, touring a command center that's about to actually start uh, disarmament efforts. Like you're, it's you're ready to like get rid of the bomb, but some sort of quote unquote nuclear activist has sabotaged the systems and activated the launch sequence. So you're supposed to disarm that. There's one in uh, Manchester, New Hampshire. That's a fallout shelter at Granite State Escapes. And this one's actually a mobile escape room. So maybe they'll come down to D.C. Um, But this nuclear war has already happened.
1: Wait, so is this escape room based on a T.E.L.? (laughs) Perhaps. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Uh, Well, this one, this is interesting. This one, the war has already happened and the air is toxic. And you are trying to uh, fix the oxygen ventilation system. So really, this is like... You failed at one of your previous games. Now you're stuck in this bunker because the war happened. Can you solve another puzzle or are you going to be double screwed? So there's, there's quite a number of these things. Let's talk a little bit about the one that we played today in the DC area. So what we played was a scenario that says that the the Pentagon has some top secret information that a supply of Russian missiles armed with nuclear warheads soon will be launched at the United States. And we learn actually a number of countries. Our goal was to rescue a military officer who had important information on how to stop the launch. And if we win, we get to save millions, save ourselves, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, so let's uh, let's get into this. So here we'll talk a little bit about like, the puzzles that had nuclear relation piece to it, uh, nuclear adjacent puzzles. Uh, some of the imagery we saw, what the room was like, and then a little bit about what the end game was. But again, we're going to try our best to not give you any answers to the puzzles, just kind of the broad strokes of what we saw here. So we'll uh, let's go back and forth a little bit here. So the f- the first thing I want to mention is that when you walk in the room, and you can see pictures of this on the internet, so this is nothing really spoily. You walk in the room. There's like a big metal table in the middle of the room. We see a gate off in the distance in the back of the room, and there's a guy, like a mannequin, look like a special forces dude, and he's all chained up. And we can't get to him yet. We need to get to him, and and that's the person we need to save. But on the wall, and the, there's a, on the, uh, the far side, there's a big map, and it just looks like a regular two D map that you would get at like a map store. And it had from one location in Russia, like strings, yarn strings, pointing to major cities. Like what was
1: it? One of them was DC, Anchorage, Oslo, Norway. Oslo, yeah. What happened to that? I. D- Apparently, so I actually, I, I can sympathize with this. Os- I'm from Norway originally. Uh, I come from Bergen. And Oslo just isn't that great. So I, I don't think a lot of Norwegians would miss Oslo all that much. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, If they had one missile to go, Oslo is where it would hit. Yeah, probably. New Delhi was one of them. Uh, they had a couple of different places. So the Russians just appeared to be an all-out attack. I think I might have even seen some string maybe in China or somewhere else.
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I don't uh, know. And and uh Alaska.
0: Well, I mean yeah. United States, Alaska, but um yeah. I will say also none of them appear to be counterforce targeting. Meaning like I didn't see any going and hitting like Colorado, the Dakotas, any yeah. place where we would have our ICBMs.
1: Louisiana.
0: Louisiana, they were they weren't hitting sub bases, they weren't hitting bomber bases, Omaha Strategic Command wasn't being hit. It was just like a couple places like that. Trying to trigger Armageddon. I mean, this is where our nuclear experience and background Maybe I was trying to apply. I was looking at the map. I'm like, all right. So is this making maybe a first strike? Is this a retaliatory strike? Is this a rogue general? Because all the bombs are coming from one location. It was a lot of things like that. I think I started to get down that path, and then I realized quickly it's not what mattered.
1: Yeah, it was it it was pointless because again, you know, this is um, uh, an attempt at bringing nuclear themes like from pop culture Mm -hmm. into a fun, uh, family friendly experience and. You know, that's, that's the problem with nuclear weapons. If you do get too much into the nitty-gritty of how the system works, it gets super depressing. And yeah. maybe that's not the best thing to tell your kid. Like, hey, you're probably going to die. <laughs> <laughs> and, and someone didn't want to be like,
0: oh, I'm in town from Seattle. And then they see Seattle is targeted. Huh.
1: Uh, why? I I wonder I why. Like that.
0: Yeah. So how means people from, I don't know, how many people from Anchorage, Alaska came to this part of town? Probably maybe not fewer. a lot.
1: Maybe, maybe a few. Yep. Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. Uh, so one thing I was a little disappointed on was that the str- the string targets from wherever the bombs were coming from, the missiles, it looked like they were ICBMs we were talking about, um, but they didn't, you know, when you're trying to describe where a missile is traveling, it's not in a straight line. It's like a, it's a trajectory path. It has to go through space. Could Maybe <laughs> these were supersonic cruise missiles that just fly in a straight path or anything. but. I, I don't know how you would describe it, but I've seen pictures of some of the other escape rooms that we were talking about earlier, and they actually have big electronic boards, like computer screens, that look like in War Games. Because that's what you would think. War Games is something that people see a lot, where you see the big board, or the big board that's in Doctor Strangelove, or Failsafe, or War Games. Or War Games. Any of those big boards... I, I,
1: I don't know exactly how to put this, sir, but are you aware of what a serious breach of security that would be? I mean, you'll see everything. You, you'll see the big board.
0: I was expecting something like that, and it was basically just a map with pins and, and yarn and stuff. So it worked. It was fine, but it was uh, certainly a little bit maybe disappointing for someone like me, but maybe it didn't matter to our colleagues who weren't coming for that background, looking for that particular thing. Yeah.
1: And I I I, th- I think you'd be a little bit super critical here, hey. but uh <laughs> No, I mean uh, and honestly uh you know, I think they were trying to achieve visually sort of um the effect on the cheap, right? Without action. Actual- they were like, Oh, we can take thumbtack, thumbtack, yarn, yep. boom problem solved instead of like oh you know we'll have to like you know buy a tv here right to project like an image and to to be accurate i think they were just like nah this this will do the trick and it worked it it, it did
0: it worked Uh, another thing in the room is where there were a couple barrels like you would imagine a barrel that normally in an action movie will explode and fly up into the air there were a bunch of green barrels and uh there were a couple different signs on the side of them one of them for some reason, said uh, radioactive barrel, and the next one to it said biohazard barrel. So I don't know. One, don't store those things in your bunker. And this was supposed to be, I guess, like a command center thing. It, it was a little bit unclear whether or not this was a place you launched things from. Whether it was like a local uh, relay station, because there was a guy, the person we were trying to rescue, was locked up there. Okay, it didn't really matter too much, but it was trying to. I was trying to get it in my head in, in advance. Is this a fallout bunker is it a command launch facility bunker is it something it wasn't entirely clear and i think that was a little bit confusing to me for a while why there was what the third thing is which is uh, there was like a big console with buttons so why don't you describe this thing because this was the probably the closest to uh right on the nose right on the on the red button
1: nose of uh nuclear themes so why don't you talk about the console yeah, so it's interesting. So I've actually been to uh, the only Titan II missile like silo that is still around in the United States. Uh, it's a museum a, out in Arizona, right? It's out in Arizona, correct? Um, and in there, like they've they've kept everything exactly as it was while it was on the silo was hot, right? Like while it was on active duty.
0: And this is the one if you listen to our podcast episode that we did about Star Trek: First Contact, they were talking about a Titan missile site that's supposed to be in Montana which is where never the they never stationed Titan missiles out in Montana Captain Picard and uh Data and uh, Lieutenant Riker walking around a missile and, and at a the facility they filmed actually at
1: that that museum there you go there so so what, so you were there I was there and actually they also filmed command and control there ah. um, yeah. yeah that's that's where they got the like footage of the Damascus incident but anyways uh I I digress anyways I was at that launch facility and what the Striking similarities between this escape room was like the, the way they laid out the console where you kind of put in in your It was the final piece of the puzzle This is where you got the key that would allow you to escape the room and uh, they laid it out So it was this console with a bunch of buttons on it and you kind of like plugged in your your keywords that you'd identified uh, throughout the room, but on either side of the console were two uh, lock boxes that you had to open up, right? So, this was the visual representation of the mm-hmm. two keys that you have to use on the actual consoles. Two launch operators, and they had them set, I think, six feet apart so that one person couldn't reach and operate both keys at the same time Mm -hmm. you needed two people to turn the keys at the same time and they had replicated that so you'd open up the lock boxes and it would open up like a power source and you'd hit a button and you'd activate that power source if you did one it wouldn't work you had to get both of them Mm -hmm. then the console would activate you could put in your like keywords and that would open up um the little like window that you needed to get the key to get out and i i
0: thought that was kind of cool it was cool i I wish they would have gone an extra step which would be instead of it being two keys that were padlocks that you open to push buttons you would have had literally just two keys that you would have to actually have two people play at the same time and turn and there would have been some kind of clue and earlier uh, maybe in one of the the we, we had these like files that we would find every once in a while like dossier files on like kind of like old 1980s James Bond villains uh, who were various names like like vladimir or uh dimitri and you would maybe one of those things it was like designed a system that you need to turn two keys at the same time so people know that would have been cool maybe that's more of an engineering challenge but i would have liked to have seen that and actually had that experience of turning two keys at the same time because i didn't even know you had to push both buttons at the same time you think we had to
1: or did we just have to hit them one and then the other? Uh, I think it was one and the other. It, yeah, it was definitely like not two at the same time. And I don't think it's so much of an engineering challenge as it is a money challenge. right? Okay. You know, it's like, oh, you know, if, if you're looking at this from the operator of the escape rooms, like, oh, we could do this and make it more accurate. But, you know, how many nuke nerds are going to come and try to solve this room? Right? Any place in the world where there is a large grouping of nuke
0: nerds, it's probably going to be the Washington, D.C. area. I, you are? I, Yes. Save this for later. At the end of the episode, we're going to talk about how we would design our own nuclear escape room and what we would do to make this a little bit differently. But beyond that, I don't think there were a ton of other things that were appropriate to nuclear stuff in there. They mentioned missiles in one of the dossier documents, but that's kind of it. There was a a couple of Russian uh, uh, Soviet Union flags um, that were up there. There were a lot of padlocks and keys and uh, things you would do with lights and... Uh, There was even, like, a a Morse code thing, which I'm really glad one of our people knew how to read Morse code. Not directly, but, like, knew how to figure out those things. I've never been able to figure that out. Like, Morse code is terrible for me, like, to try to solve one of those puzzles. So I'm glad someone else was able to do that. But that was kind of fun. Uh, What were some of the other things? Anything else that you want to mention about the room?
1: Yeah, no, I I, I think so. And uh, I mean, I, I, you know, without getting into the details of the actual like puzzles Mm -hmm. and and challenges, it it was fun. Like I I enjoyed it. It was mentally stimulating. Again, so we went with uh, more of our colleagues than just Tim and myself. And uh, it was kind of like a bonding experience. You felt like a sense of accomplishment, like and and we all kind of because there were ten of us in total. Like everyone kind of like spread out around the room, and we we were all working on like different puzzles at the same time. At, at first, it was a little disorganized, which is something yes. that I
0: it, it, we were disorganized at first. People jumping over each other, like oh, I got something, and everyone's excited to find something. But then there was definitely that moment of like, let's stop for a second and figure out really what the different things we've we've assessed to mean. And having that big table in the middle of the room was really helpful for that. We labeled to lay everything out. We all saw. I think everybody really got to contribute something pretty significant throughout this. I'm trying to think of everybody in our group all eventually solved one or two of the puzzles that we had to do.
1: Yeah. I, I, I think you're right. Um, the one criticism I will have, uh, of that kind of like everyone did a little bit of everything and it being so disorganized was that like, so everything got kind of put on the table, and we were like, oh, has this key yeah. been used yet? Like, has this puzzle, like, been solved? I guess there was this um, kind of, like, preconception that, you know, oh, you've used an th- item once, right? And then you're yeah. done with it. But that wasn't the case, as yeah. we found out, with everything. Right. Some things it was true, but some things it was not true. And I, I think one of the things that you did that was really great was
0: uh, when you were done with a padlock and the key leave the key in the padlock and put the padlock somewhere else so it's not wondering what does this key go for we had that a couple times what does this key go for we
1: don't know and that's that's exactly why I did that too I was like well I need to show people that this key is done and we don't need to waste time on it we we're
0: doing some things that we probably didn't need to do we were looking under drawers uh, taking drawers out I accidentally took an entire drawer out from a desk and couldn't put it back and I just Put it down. And I said, guys, this is good. We don't need this. <laughs> it's not. This uh, drawer It's
1: nothing we need. We, we kept coming back to the wheels on that chair. Like, what, what, yeah. what is it with these wheels? This is something about these wheels. Oh, well, they're dirty. Like, literally, I, I yeah. heard that phrase used by multiple people at least five times. And then it'd be like, is there
0: something that says dirt somewhere that we need to use? <laughs> but yeah, I don't think there's much else to talk about the room. I think we can do another one of these maybe if we ever decided to go to Chicago or or, or Chattanooga and uh, and try to find another one. But I think for this one, that was kind of the extent of it, which I think is interesting given given what we were looking for and the fact that it's advertised as a, a nuclear bunker, nuclear war-themed game, that it wasn't a ton of that in there. Maybe we were the only ones, or maybe I'm the only one that was disappointed by that, that it didn't have a ton of those things because the game itself was pretty fun. That's what we can get into now. So I think I have four discussion questions here for us to get through. This will be a relatively short episode. First, do you think that, quote, stopping a nuclear war or an accidental nuclear launch type scenario, why do you think that's seen as such a popular choice for escape room designers? And does it provide a good scenario for escape room players? Like after you've gone through one of these, was this your first ever escape room it was actually so. Like, was this was this kind of an interesting scenario? People seem to go to it quite a lot. It could be simply a sample size thing, where there are so many escape rooms out there now that there's every scenario that you can possibly imagine. I'm sure there's a Friends TV show themed escape room. Oh, you know, there somewhere. Is. Uh, and if there isn't, uh, let's do that. Get, <laughs> get right on that. Why do you think it's so popular?
1: And and do you think it was a good scenario for people to play? I do, and I I mean like. Nuclear war, Armageddon, right? Like, the preservation of humanity. Like, it's, you know, it's probably, like, the most noble thing there is, mm. right? So, I I think, you know, it's popular. It's a good theme for escape rooms. It's a good theme for movies, right? I think about the movie Armageddon, right? Like, all of yeah. the nuclear-themed movies we have out there. Like, there's, uh, there are quite a number
0: of them. I've seen a few of them. Yeah, yeah. there's
1: a, I think there have been a couple of episodes that kind of focus yeah. on that theme. There's a very good reason um, that I think, you know, nuclear preventing armageddon from happening is so popular um and i think that will be the case for many years um to come
0: you want an escape room where people can quickly know what the scenario is know what their goal is and have it be something that they can connect to now stopping nuclear war is not the same thing as most people deal with on a day-to-day basis but most escape rooms are something that places you in a scenario you're familiar with through something through whether it's pop culture like the one we did where it was a. Uh, We did one that was the Indiana Jones uh, Temple of Doom kind of scenario. Uh, Another one we did was Escape from Alcatraz. We did this one at, at Madame Trousseau's in San Francisco, and it was Escape from Alcatraz. And it was, you know, there were some issues with the puzzle that were very frustrating. Somebody forgot to put a key back which was really difficult when you one of the things we had to solve was a key, and we were locked in these two cells and couldn't figure out a way to get out. But it was a fun uh, game to put yourself into that. There's Ghostbuster-themed ones where you're trying to you know try to bust some ghosts and try to solve some puzzles about that. So I think it's fun, and it's definitely a strong connection to uh, more like spy movies for the one that we played. The nuclear things, I think it was almost more like a James Bond room. Specifically, Goldeneye. Exactly. I would be surprised if there wasn't a pen that we had to click a few times and then throw it somewhere and then have it <laughs> pop out. So that was that was fun. I I think that was a, that was pretty cool. But maybe I don't know. I I'm wanting a little bit more because of. I think part of it is because I had fun playing this game. I could see if it was just a little bit more there, it would tickle a different part of my brain and not just the puzzle solving brain, but the the nuclear war scenario-themed brain. So I think it does make a good scenario for players to play. Literally, for some of the ones we talked about in the beginning of this episode, weapons are going to launch by this time. I like that. I think they should have added that into the game that we played. 60 minutes, the bombs are going. We need to get the person that we're trying to rescue out of the room by then. Otherwise, that's when it starts. The war will start then. The attack will start then. Instead of... Our thing, which didn't really have a reason why the sixty minute timer was there. Yeah. One of the other ones we played was sixty minutes was the guard change at Alcatraz, so they would then know that we were there. Right. So I think games that have a, that as the reason for the end game is better than what we had, which maybe am I not remembering what the sixty minutes was for? It was just arbitrary. Right. So having that into it would be really yeah. good, especially because you got a darn counter going up there. Make make it a appropriate the general nuclear countdown thing. That you tend to want to
1: have. like, And I'm, I'm just thinking of this, but it would also have been really cool, and this was something they could do on the cheap. Set the timer so that, like, you score more points for various times. So, for instance, instead of going to 60 minutes, you, you, you get to 45 minutes, and then it's like, all right, well, the missiles launch at this point. <laughs> but if you do it in the next 15 minutes, ah. like, the early warning satellites will pick it up, and you will have enough time to, for like missile defenses yeah. to trigger, right? So it'll only, like the damage done to the United States homeland will only be like 50% of what it would be if you take the entire 60 minutes.
0: I like this. This is great. This is this is going to start to preview a little bit about the game I have. Uh, all right, so the second question is how accurate was the scenario? And we kind of touched on that a little bit. Did it seem to draw more from TV and movies or from real life history and scenarios? And one of the questions I have when I played this game was, did it seem like the reason the Russians wanted to attack the United States, was it a an accidental launch, a terrorist group infiltrating rogue general, or t- it seemed like it was more like a we're just tired of our nonsense kind of thing but those may have been in the dossiers which i didn't have a chance to read did you read a little bit more did.
1: of those i so i so that was one of the things like uh it was a clue that didn't really make a lot of sense to me so i read through all the dossiers like multiple okay. times and i mean it was just like your typical like james bond villain dossiers
0: did it seem like it was a decision from the 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 leadership of the soviet union the politburo
1: yes did it seem like it
0: was a decision from them or was it a decision from these these rogue generals
1: it was not a decision from anyone that the closest like answer that I could get to from reading the dossier is it was just, it was a rogue individual that like decided to like launch these things. It wasn't really clear. Okay. It was just a, it was, it was a backstory that they did not put a lot of time and effort into. They were like, we just want to have this like fun, like nuclear themed room with like random ass barrels of like radioactive stuff next to biohazard stuff. With some Soviet flags, like, in the <laughs> windows, with some Cyrillic writing yeah. in different places. Like, yeah.
0: I mean, it was fun, but it definitely didn't hit on all of those individual notes that it could. Uh, so this is a really hard question to, to talk about, like, what was it accurate? Because it didn't really try to be accurate, because it really didn't try to to hit any of those particular notes at all. Uh, I mean, it was probably accurate to some of the, the, the clues that we could play, like, a spy movie. But it didn't seem to me... The game wasn't designed, like, why were we using, in one place, uh, a certain type of tool device to get access to hidden messages? Like, what were the, who wrote those hidden messages in this game? You know what I mean? Like, some of the other games that we played, it, it, the Indiana Jones one, made sense because it was someone had built this right. to hide a clue. Yeah. Or the one we did with the escape room for Escape from Alcatraz. It was like you trying to solve puzzles that someone had planned in Escape. And it all made sense. Like, this one, it was like, who was doing all these things?
1: I mean, yeah, you know, this wasn't built into the story at all. So this is like me filling in the gaps of a very yeah. not fulfilling story. Yeah, but, what's, like, your, what's your fan fiction for this? Uh, perhaps it was uh, the guy who we were trying to rescue had written these things down, uh, you know, like beforehand.
0: Um, or maybe it was someone who worked for one of the rogue generals that didn't want the launch to happen. And they yeah. were trying to something.
1: Yeah, right, like to, to create like um, a back way out, like a fail safe. A I'm back channel. Sorry. Yeah, a, a back a, channel. A spinnaker type <laughs> thing.
0: Um, I, yeah, that, that could be good. I mean, it doesn't take a lot to write a few more details into your description notes or ahead of time, like on the website. There was like two sentences to describe what the scenario was. If they just had a little bit more on there, it doesn't have to be a lot. Uh, I don't need a full actual dossier briefing, but uh, a paragraph, a full paragraph that had some more information like that. You're working with, uh, you know, rogue elements within the rogue elements. You know, that kind of stuff would be helpful. So I don't really know what else to say about this one. It's is kind of weird to, to not get super critical about it because I don't really know what else the scenarios were. I mean, in terms of the console panel, I and mean, when you were done at the very end, it opened up a glass panel, which had a red button. And the key for us to get out was wrapped around the red button but what do you tend to think about red buttons on consoles and things that look like launch facilities what would you t- tend to think that they do i'm gonna push this gosh darn button and what do you think happens something
1: usually goes boom right that's that's yeah, the association exactly. with button uh
0: either the the missiles get launched and it's one of those like red button joke scenarios uh or it could be potentially Something like a Tom Cruise movie, the, what was it, uh, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, where he hits a big red button at the last second to disarm
1: a bomb that was about to hit San Francisco. We didn't, I don't think that button did anything. It didn't. And so, to to your point, it would have been really cool if that button was actually the key and it opened the door. And that wouldn't, like... You know, as as somebody who is a fairly handy, do-it-yourself kind of guy, um, all you need is, like, that button operates an electromagnet, like, on the door, right? And, unlocks the door. And, you know, that might have cost, like, the escape room people, like, knowing contractor rates and stuff, a couple thousand bucks. Mm-hmm. But they're charging, you know, like, for a group of ten, it's a couple hundred dollars. So, you know, like... That would have made the experience, I th- like, if I was the Grandmaster and in charge of this escape room, yeah. I would have made that call because I think it would have made the room just enough better to, like, warrant that kind of, like, you know, uh, advertising or bolstering of the experience. Or at least it stopped a timer. Like, right. stop the timer. Yes, Instead of
0: stopped the countdown, which it, it
1: did not do.
0: Spoiler alert lifted. We basically, we solved the puzzle. We had an hour to solve it, and we solved it in, with 18 minutes left. That's pretty good. I was incredibly surprised by how much 10 people were, you know, 10 people helps. If people are, are smart and they figure out a puzzle... But 18 minutes is, was a lot of time, but we noticed, we actually solved it with 18 minutes and 30 seconds left, but that red button didn't do anything. You had to get the key and open the door, and then a guy in, in the back room would push a button to, to stop the timer and stuff. So having a little bit of that would have been really cool. But that's that's kind of nitpicking, you know, that we talked about the barrels. Yeah, why would you store nuclear waste in a room that this, whatever this was for, or biohazard waste? Also, if they're all green barrels, you can't really tell what stores one thing versus the other. Usually nuclear waste well, but, is the well, yellow barrel. on them, Tim. Come yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry, the stickers. <laughs> but I did feel I'll give them this. It looked like a Cold War bunker. Everything that was in there was looked of the time period. Now you know that's a Cold War was a very long time period. But I would say like fifties, sixties. Like all of the desks looked like they were from that era. All of the chairs looked like they were from that era. Yeah. Um, there was a typewriter. The, the typewriter looked really old. Like everything looked like it did back in you know back then. Um, so my my uh, my third question is did it help at all to have a an extra knowledge beyond what was in the room because they always say this new escape rooms they say you don't need to bring anything in there with you no tools no extra knowledge maybe just uh if you like ghostbusters then you might be you'll understand what the things in the room do but you don't really need to know that stuff you'll learn it as you play so did, did it help that we had that nuclear knowledge to bring in
1: or did maybe it actually kind of hurt? I, I think maybe uh, it it might have hurt in some capacities because you were making, you were expecting to make connections yeah. that weren't actually there, like me with the map, right? Like like you with the map, uh, but in other areas it did help, and it wasn't even related to nuclear, like I mentioned at the beginning uh, of the the podcast, right? Like Anna spoke Cyrillic, and she was like, "Oh, these are numbers. This is a combination to one of the padlocks," and sure enough, it was the combination to one of the padlocks. What I loved about that was like two puzzles later we got the decoding
0: you D- know, the, the, right the, the, the stone.
1: and we we're like oh yeah we we already solved that no big deal another one of the reasons i think that we, we solved this room and had like 18 and a half minutes left on the clock yeah. was that our coworker chris <laughs> literally guessed the combination to one of the locks just like was like screwing around messing with some numbers and he was like oh sweet this worked yeah how how
0: does that happen and I immediately asked Chris after we were done, could he write down a few numbers for me for the lottery? And because yeah, I can, if I can win the lottery, I can buy some pretty nice podcast so, equipment.
1: I will say this: the odds of getting the combo right for a padlock are one out of nine hundred ninety-nine. I, I think your odds are a little bit hmm. uh, more disparate than that when it comes to the lottery. I have faith in Chris. <laughs> I, I have faith. I have faith in my my my, my friend Chris.
0: Uh, that'll work out really good, man. Kind of beyond that. It was more just like a, a keen eye, you know, because we work so hard uh, at our job trying to you know, manage the world of nuclear security risk and international security. And so we're always very detail oriented where we try to solve not just the problem in front of us, but also looking at a broader picture, like what's the problem we have? And what may have caused it? What can be things that can happen in the future? You know, we do a lot of things about like building budgets and trying to make connections between people. I think maybe some of that helped. So maybe those are all other factors that maybe are more important than bringing in a nuclear weapons degree background or working in a launch facility at some point in your life or touring one at a museum or something. But so the last question I have here is, you know, what would we do if we were going to design our own escape room? Because I think what would be really fun would be to, the scenario is you're the president and the national security team. You appoint one person in the group as the president and there's incoming attack and you have 60 minutes, you know, really it's 30 minutes, right? When missiles come from Russia to the United States, but let's say it's 60 minutes. Let's say it's bombers from a certain place or something, and you have to make a couple different decisions. And once that timer is out, everything's gone. And I guess the puzzle is to either, and someone has misplaced the nuclear football Right, right. The nuclear, Some guy, one of the people who was handling the nuclear football, uh, you know, got drunk or was distracted by a movie and, and left it behind something that got locked. And you have to get to the nuclear football... ...to launch your retaliatory strike. And then you have to do that based on a certain amount of time. So there's like 30 minutes for missiles to get here from Russia. You have like 10 minutes or so for, the, for it to break cloud cover and then see the missile. Then you have five minutes to wake the president. The president has four minutes to make a decision. It takes four minutes for the information to get to the launch officers who actually fire them. Turn the keys. All of that stuff. So you as the president and the president's team have to run through that entire process... So that serves a couple of functions. One, it serves just your pure, it would be kind of fun to be in this scenario. Two, it it serves the function of teaching people how stressful this time is. You can make the game 30 minutes and just make it really hard and realize how often time people fail and how stressful it is to make those decisions, which serves another function that I want in these kind of games, which is to not just be, oh, it's a fun spy thing. But also, hey, nuclear weapons are pretty dangerous, and these are the kind of conditions that we work with when we try to handle them, and how close it is to make mistakes through this process. So
1: would you play this game? Would this be a fun one that you'd like to play? I would, and I I, I would even go a little bit more elaborate than that. I would set it up so kind of like... As you describe it, like with benchmarks, right? So you have like ten minutes to, like, uh, you know, to uh, get the combination to the padlock that will give you access to the room where the like officer drunkenly misplaced the yeah. nuclear football. Once you have the football, then you're like, okay, great. I'm gonna use like the biscuit now. And the well, bi- where's
0: the biscuit? Oh, it's in that code. It's over there. Exactly. Oh, so you get another five minutes
1: to unlock like the biscuit, right? To get to the codes, and so you know you, you can take it step by step that way.
0: And I I forgot the uh the book of launch uh, codes
1: yeah i don't know where that is yeah. oh it's over there right right um and then it's like okay so you're issuing the codes but you're like oh wait like i'm not getting a response on the other line oh like the this wire to my transponder is broken yeah. i have to like fix this and in order to do that you have to solve another puzzle right and like with each step along the way there's room for failure if you do not solve it within like the 10 minutes the world's done right everyone's toast mm. so if you solve it you get it to get to the next step but like everything can be undone i like that i also
0: like escape rooms that uh have decision trees so if you get to a certain point and you haven't solved it yet you, that one path is gone and now you have to move towards a different path and they announce that and that could be you have a little bit of time to stop the launch from happening at all but that's a really hard clue to solve and if you don't get that then it's like well now you're screwed now you have to launch you have to respond and then you have to go through the rest of them and then at the very last second it's okay it's too late to launch but you still have the ability to solve this last puzzle to get to your bunker and if you get to your bunker you at least survive yeah and that would be kind of fun or to to launch like a Star Wars space defense missile defense lasers you know something along those lines that would be super fun and I think uh, we could we could do pretty well
1: with ourselves and to your point like and have it be a point based system right like so you make it to the like you make it to the bunker but the world ends like okay great like you get like 50% of the points that you could possibly get right you get to the bunker and you trigger the Mm -hmm. missile defense system that gives you another 20% you know like that yeah I think I think that would be fun and it would add a little extra
0: oomph so it's too late I think to build this for the upcoming Carnegie Nuclear Policy Conference, which is in March of yeah, so one month from now. I think for the it's next two one, two weeks from now. Yeah, so the next one, let's, uh, let's think about this. I think
1: this would be really fun. I, I uh, yeah, it's um, I mean, I I feel like there's a room here where we could actually like be like set up this kind of experience and Mm -hmm. advertise it and possibly get like some serious buy-in for for like that so i like this so yeah
0: so if anyone's listening to this and it's going to be at the carnegie conference uh and this is the carnegie conference it's going to take place in 2019 uh in washington dc look for will and i uh we you know Where pictures are out there in the world, you you Google our names and you can find us and uh, talk to us if you like this idea to be something to set up in the future. I think this would be really fun to do or at least have some sort of web-based version of this we could maybe do. I don't know how to set that up. I'd probably be better building actual props things like that. Uh, all right, so that's all the questions I have. Anything else you
1: want to bring up before we close out here? No, I, I think we touched on everything. And, and like, my, my last big, big thing that I wanted to talk about was how the button didn't operate the door. And that was right, so, yeah.
0: I know, right. that button. You always complain in, in nuclear movies that, that there is a nuclear button at all, a red button. And it does either the thing that it should do or shouldn't do. This button just didn't do anything. Yeah. It was just, like, a very—maybe that's a, maybe if there's some message there. that It's not really about the button will— It's about everything else. It's about the keys. (laughs) Yes. about the keys. There we go. They did Um, have keys. All right. So let's uh, do our rating system, which we do every episode. Uh, We do a consistent one through five rating since we're going to be talking about things and we want to compare across all the different genres. But because we get super critical about the content, I get super critical about the rating. I've crunched the numbers here. And I think what we'll do is one out of five numbers on a padlock. One number. Won't get you anywhere. You only have one number. That's then you have to be like Chris and, and guess the rest of them. But if you have all five numbers, it will open up a world of possibilities and maybe even let you go home. How many out of five numbers on a padlock would you give the experience that we did at this uh, unnamed escape room in the Washington D.C. area?
1: I, I'd give it a solid three because yeah. it was it was fun. Um, I I enjoyed myself. I think the entire team uh, ha- had a good time. But again, like, there there were things there, as somebody who works on these issues for a living, uh, that, that could have been done better. And also, just quite frankly, like, as we discussed kind of, like, the the benchmark system, I think even not having, like, a nuclear background hmm. would have made that, like, more, like, of a thriller. Yeah, I would say three.
0: Three as well. It was, I would have, overall, I had a really fun time. Uh, it was really fun working with the colleagues that, I, that we had there. Uh, it was awesome to see everybody working together, solving pieces of the puzzle, bringing some of their own... History and background into it, uh, and their own expertise and their own ways of looking at things. That's fun. And that's what a good escape room will do. It's just if to get to a five, just a little bit, you can get to a four for me so easily by just having a little bit more background information, a little bit more of the, what are we doing here? And uh, a, a little bit more of the complex uh, clues, although it did always advertise it as a 6 out of 10. I guess that was a 6 out of 10. Yeah. But a little bit more there. And maybe maybe if we just didn't get lucky with people solving uh, puzzles using their Russian language exper- expertise or pure luck, it would have been a little bit different. But a 3, I think, is a pretty fair a fair one. I have also some stuff here to recommend. We always usually do this on the podcast where... If it's you like this kind of content, maybe you want to do your own escape room, you can either look at the ones if you're in one of the cities we mentioned earlier, or if you're not, uh, there's some things I'd like to recommend. Maybe you have something, but I, I've got a few, three things here. One, BGN Lab. It's a channel on YouTube. It's a fun series by Scott Nicholson, who is a game designer at Wilfrid Laurier University in Ontario, Canada. They design games and teach games uh, design for games that are will save the world, quote-unquote, is what they say. And they talk a lot about escape rooms, and they talk about what goes into a good escape room... ...what are some tips to solve escape rooms, but also just general game design, which is pretty fun. If uh, Second, if you go on Amazon or if you go on the internet and you look for Spin Master Games... They produce something called the Escape Room, the game. And you can buy your own escape room and play it at home. And one of the scenarios they have is something called Nuclear Countdown, where you can play it at home. It's a -a try-to-disarm-a-bomb puzzle. And they have a physical... It looks like a box with some keys and some numbers on it. So I don't know really what what it is. But it's some kind of uh, bomb that you can disarm on a timer on your own. So if you want to play this game on your own, you'll look for it. I think it's actually kind of expensive because it might be out of print but they probably can find a copy of it somewhere and uh i might put it on my birthday wish list we'll see (laughs) maybe if i can get a copy of it we'll play it and and do another podcast episode That, that sounds great and finally something that's easier to get to is a game that i have a ton of fun playing it's called keep talking and nobody explodes it's a vr game designed by steel crate You play as a bomb disposal team. One person has headset on, or if you don't play the VR version yet, you have a computer screen where you see a bomb, and it has puzzles. And some of the puzzles are like wires, and certain numbers of wires and colors, and other ones have buttons that you have to push and things like that. And the other person, who's your teammate, has the bomb disposal guidebook. So they don't see the bomb, and you're telling them things like, how many wires does it have? Oh, it has blue, and it's uh, four red, and things like that. And they have corresponding instructions to follow it's a game it's about two things one how well you can read instructions and two how well you can communicate to someone else what you're seeing which is a really hard skill to have yeah and this game is very fun you can get it on playstation vr on the galaxy gear you can just play it with two people that don't look at the same screen on a computer you can print out the instructions. You can have them somewhere else. It's a lot of fun. I recommend people playing it. And I kind of wish there was a, a DLC content for disarming a nuclear bomb. One of these days, maybe I'll, I'll request that. That would be kind of fun.
1: Yeah, that that sounds great.
0: Uh, Will, thanks so much for coming on the podcast again. You're becoming an ever increasingly popular return guest on the show. It helps that you sit a few desks for me and I'd be like, Hey, Will, what are you doing this weekend? But where can people find you if they want to find more of your, your wit and wisdom? Mm-hmm
1: uh yeah so uh i try to project my my humor my personality to uh in my twitter personality as well so uh you can follow me at will satron
0: how would someone spell that
1: w-i-l-l-s-a-e-t-r-e-n terrific
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of the Super Critical Podcast. If you have any suggestions for future episodes or want to tell us what we got wrong, either nuke-wise or, hey, maybe we shouldn't be talking about escape room puzzles on the podcast and how wrong we are, there are a couple ways you can tell me that. You can go on our website, supercriticalpodcast.com, which has show resources and special features and all those kind of things about what went into preparing this episode. I'll link to some of the different places that we talked about. Go check that out on our website. We also have bonus features on our YouTube page. Our last episode that we did on ninety nine loof balloons. After that, we pr- produced a on Spotify and YouTube a playlist of all the different songs people recommended to us. It's upwards of like forty or fifty songs. If you are having a great day and you want to bring yourself down a little bit, or maybe it's raining and snowing outside and you just want to reflect the music that that matches your mood, check out this nuclear war nuclear weapons playlist and. Also on Facebook, facebook.com slash supercriticalpodcast. I'm on Twitter at nuclearpodcast, and I also have an email account that I check, supercriticalpodcast at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed the program, we'd appreciate it if you would consider subscribing on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you listen to, and leave us a five-star review. We haven't had one of those in a while. I know I don't even like to listen to my favorite podcast and go on and do five-star reviews, but it does help grow the show. Or at least tell one of your friends to go do one of these escape rooms. Have them listen to the podcast. We always like that. It helps to grow the show. And it's it's super fun to hear how people end up coming to listen to the show. Until next time, this has been Tim Westmeyer. And Will Sager. And remember, if it's pop culture and radioactive, we are bound to get super critical about it. Have a good one.